Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests join me to talk about their journey dealing with the struggle and how they found healing through that. Um, My guest today is Brian Walsh, Jr. He's a senior financial advisor at Walsh & Nicholson Financial Group in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Brian, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Diana, for having me. Great to be here. So Brian is going to talk today about some of the personal trauma he's experienced throughout his life that ultimately led him to have thoughts of suicide and a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. I want to start by saying that, Brian, uh, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're in a much better place today. Um, you have two beautiful girls. Uh, you, you're part of a growing advisory team. I mean, we're, we're so glad that you're here, that you got through that rock-bottom time in your life, and that you're willing to share your story with us. You know, there might be some listeners out there who are still in a very dark place, um, you know, haven't dealt with their personal trauma the way you have. And my hope is that this might help them to seek support and healing. Um, you know, I think you told me that it's just been really important for you to talk about the issues, the things that you went through, rather than, you know, sort of keeping them bottled up inside. I mean, talking about it was really what helped you get over the hump, uh, so to speak, and, and seek help. Just tell us a little bit about childhood how you became interested in the military, the Navy. I know you were about to go into the Navy SEALs program. Um, what happened during that time in your life? So, yes, I, I am in a, in a much better place uh, today than I was, you know, even five years ago, six years ago. And my childhood was was great. Um, you know, I had great upbringing, unbelievable family, um, from my mom to my dad, brother and sister, everybody, you know, very supportive family. My father was a firefighter and, uh, you know, in, um, when he was younger and he was injured, uh, you know, pretty badly in a fire. Uh, his, his face is all skin grafts. He, he has an unbelievable story of his own. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's truly, um, really breathtaking. And um, growing up with him uh, was very unique in the sense that he always instilled an incredible work ethic in you. Um, nothing, you know, he never made anything easy. He, he, he made you earn it, um, whatever you had. And, and it, he taught me and my siblings those kinds of life lessons. And, you know, I really think a lot of what he experienced shows through in who I am today, who my brother and sister are today. Um, and my mom was just always the rock, you know, of the family. She was very calming and, you know, just very 
very supportive and the dynamic that those two were able to play in, in my life and my, you know, and again, my brother and sister really shaped who we are and um, always emphasized giving back to people. My brother, sister and I are in a, you know, grew up in a position where, you know, they, they paid for our college, right? They, they, you know, were able to pay for, for us to play sports and uh, go do activities and things that a lot of kids, uh, you know, unfortunately don't have the luxury to be able to do. And my, my, my dad all, and mom always emphasized the importance of giving back. Every every year, multiple times a year, we would go to, to different places to feed the homeless or just help out uh, in any way that we can in, in different charitable organizations throughout the Philadelphia area. And that really carried over into, you know, my life, you know, even today, but but more so in, in how I wanted to in how I viewed what I wanted to do with the rest of my life when I was thinking about different careers. And, you know, I I was I was a three sport athlete in high school, um, ended up playing collegiate golf, probably could have played collegiate basketball, but that's that's for another day. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just always had that kind of um, regimen in place where, you know, I it, it went to practice, ate well in high school, never drank and take a sip of alcohol. Um, never done a drug in my life. Just very, was always just kind of like this clean edge kid. Um, and a lot of that came from my parents, right? Um, you know, they, they, they instilled discipline in you. And if you wanted something, you, you know, you had to go out and work for it. And if I wanted to go play golf in college or basketball in college, you know, I had to work for it and earn it. And, um, that mentality has been my mentality in everything I've done, um, throughout my life. And, um, when I was thinking about the military, that thought really started to come into play when I got to college, more so early on in college. And I had gotten into mixed martial arts at the time and was new to it. It was just I was just kind of dabbling in it a little bit. And the the people that I was training with, a lot of them were firefighters, police officers, military members. And the uh, head instructor was actually a Navy SEAL, a former Navy SEAL. And uh you know, he never told any of us of that. And then I went to his house for dinner one night and he told, I saw a picture and he, I said, are you, are you Navy SEAL? And he said, yeah. And, uh, we ended up having a great conversation about it. And, you know, from that conversation on, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, it was a way to give back a way to really push yourself. And there's no guarantee you make that right. It was, you, you make it through that training. Yeah, that I just knew that that was, oh, it's unbelievable. It's very hard. It's into, it's right? incredible, and um, you know, there's no saying I would have made it through. I'd like to think I would have, but um, you, you know, it's a very very difficult program. But I knew that that is the path I wanted to go on. I, I wanted to be the if I would have if I was going to go in the to yeah, give it a shot. If I was going to be in the military, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be the best there was in the military. Right. That's just mm -hmm. that was my mentality. And, and that's how I saw the Navy SEALs. So um, throughout college, I continued training mixed martial arts. Um, you know, I, I did a bunch of research on the military and ultimately decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I graduated college uh, with the intent of going to BUDS, which is the Navy SEAL um, kind of boot camp in the spring or winter of um, I'm sorry, fall, winter of uh, 2010, it would have been. And, you know, that was my plan. I, I had, en I enlisted in the Navy, uh, at that point, um, the day after I graduated from college and, and was ready to go and, um, was going to 
move down to South Carolina to train and just get ready and, and take my career from there and, and, and do what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, that, that was my plan. And, and, and just be, just having my, my, that work ethic, the discipline, the drive to do that, the eagerness to give back and protect, um, was something that my parents instilled in me at a very young age. Yeah. And so things, uh, um, you know, didn't really work out according to, to plan, right? What, um, what happened? Yeah. So I, a couple days after I graduated, uh, from college, um, you know, I'd mentioned I, I had enlisted in the Navy and, and, and that night I was driving back from Baltimore, Maryland. I was visiting a girl I was dating at the time and, you know, it was about two, two thirty in the morning and I was driving on I-95 North, northbound going from Baltimore up to Philadelphia and I got hit head on by a drunk driver. Um, we hit at a combined speed of 130 miles an hour. Um, my car flipped down the highway, um, landed up against the guardrail and, um, you know, I, I remember all of it. Um, I, I didn't lose consciousness. Um, it was a pretty crazy experience. And, um, you know, I, I remember, uh, being in the car, the car stopped flipping and I just said, uh, my God, I got to get out of this car. Cause I didn't know if it was going to catch on fire. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen next. So I just tried to do everything I could to get out of the car. And it was the weirdest feeling in the world because I could move my legs, but I couldn't feel them. Mm. Um, it was very odd. And I, because I couldn't feel them, I couldn't really, it was a kind of Moves a blessing. And a curse. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, I was able to actually kick my way out of the car. Um, because I could move the legs. So I just started kicking and kicked my way out of the car and crawled across the highway, across 95 up against the other part of the guardrail and just sat there and and bleeding profusely, um, you know, in and out of consciousness. And luckily a few cars had stopped and, and, and got out and helped me. And, you know, an ambulance was there within, within about a minute because apparently a drunk driver had been called in a few minutes prior to the accident. So um, there was an anticipation of, of something happening. And, and unfortunately I was on the, you know, um, receiving end of it. And um, sorry. I'm sorry. Did the other driver survive or? Yes, uh, she did survive. And um, she actually, you know, the, the when the police went to, look at the area they did the questioning and everything else they found three empty bottles of vodka uh in her front seat and um so it was whether she drank all three that night who knows but um you know she was you know obviously intoxicated enough for that to happen so um you know they arrested her obviously charged her with uh they actually ended up charging her with attempted murder as well as a slew of other um uh crimes and and, and penalties but um yeah, so you know, I got transported to the hospital. Um, ended up, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. The uh, I was sitting there laying and laying there, and the two police officers after the trauma. Let me back up. Sorry, uh, after the trauma unit, um, they were in there checking my vitals and um, you know doing everything they needed to do, stitching me up, everything else. They put me on this 
bed essentially and rolled me into a room. And I was laying there in the room on my back, flat with a neck brace around around my neck. And these two police officers looked over the bed and jumped back immediately. And I was like, what was that about? In my head, I was like, what was that about? Right, and um, right. I said, can I help you? And um, they said, we're, I'm sorry, we're looking for the um, an accident victim. I said, who are you looking for? And they said, oh, I was a driver of a, of a car that was involved in an accident. I said, what car? And they said, it was a red Ford. I said, that was me. And they said, you were the driver of the red Ford? I said, yeah. And they said, there's no way. There's no way you're alive. And uh, that really kind of resonated with me as to you know how how serious and bad this this was um and the uh the doctors came in and you know i had a, a really bad concussion i had extensive nerve damage throughout um all of my extremities um which is the reason i couldn't feel my legs uh, initially is because of the the nerve damage and then i had i lost vision part part vision in my right eye um because i had a, a couple shards of glass in my eye that eventually were picked out throughout my time in the emergency room and the hospital. Um, but then I also had, you know, hundreds of shards of glass throughout my body. And that was all from just the windows breaking and everything else throughout the accident. And the crazy part about it and the reason that the doctors think that I survived was because um, the majority of that glass was in the outside of my forearms. And the 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 training of of mixed martial arts i think saved my life here and the reason is because once we hit i immediately put my arms up as if i was getting hit in in a fight and i kept that same i kept it all the way through uh kept my hands up covering my head the entire way through the accident and all of the glass was in that area which normally would be through the through the head um the eyes the temples of victims who, who tend to die in accidents like that. Um, so to this day, I, you know, I 100% believe that, you know, my training in mixed martial arts saved my life um, specifically because of that. And, um, you know, with that, with that car accident came a lot of issues that I didn't foresee coming. Um, one, I couldn't get into the military anymore because of the extent of my physical damage, um, the concussions, everything else. I was just kind of in this period of, I have to recover and, um, figure out my next steps. And, and that's ultimately when I, you know, started looking at different options, which led me to my first career, which was in the, uh, uh, police force. So Brian, I know that when, when you went into, you, you joined the police academy at Prince William County and, uh, went into the police force there, you said you didn't really tell anyone about the accident at that point. Why did you, you know, sort of keep that close to the vest? So there was a couple of reasons. One, um, I think at the time it was something I was trying to get out of my own head, um, yeah. kind of almost pretend it didn't happen. Um, second reason was I was in this room of police officers and all these just physically fit uh, people. And, and physically trained people and, and just mentally strong people. And I, I didn't want there to be any sort of sense of potential weakness. Um, I, I had barely passed the physical fitness test to get into the academy because of the limitations in my legs. 
So, mm. you know, me getting going to the academy initially, physically, I was already way behind. Right. And, you know, I, I just wanted, I, I didn't want people thinking, oh, here's this guy. He's got, he was, you know, there's this excuse of some sort of being in a car accident and, you know, he's going to get some sort of preferential treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those were kind of my initial thoughts. So it was, it was, it was two parts to it. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was just, I wasn't really ready to talk about, um, you know, as I got closer to some people in the academy, I talked about it a little bit. Um, but initially I just kept it, kept it close. Cause I, I, I didn't really know how to talk about it, um, or how other people would react. Yeah, sure. And so I know, uh, you know, going into the police force kind of went from one traumatic event to another. So tell us about your time there. What were some of the things that you saw that were, you know, pretty difficult? So my time as a police officer was the absolute best experience I've had in my life mm. for a multitude of reasons. Yes, it came with some consequences um, from a from a mental standpoint at times, you know, previously. But, you know, the from the police academy, just the, the discipline um, it teaches you. Uh, yeah. It, it humbles you. It, it, I never really had an, an issue with teamwork. I was always, you know, again, an athlete raised to help other people and all these types of things. So, but, but it just solidified that it made you a better teammate. It made you really understand that you're in something way bigger than yourself. And, yeah. you know, six months of the Academy, which was a military style Academy, uh, one of the only few remaining in the country, really, really taught you those lessons. And it prepared you for the streets, uh, especially where I was. Uh, They were tough. It was a tough area, really tough area. And, you know, some of the things, you form a brotherhood with with the people on the force that you can't really explain uh, unless you've really been a part of it. And you would literally lay your life down for any one of them. And you wouldn't even hesitate about it. And it's, it's just something that you're, that gets ingrained in you. And, um, you know, when, you know, you're, we, we averaged about, oh man, 35, 40 calls a night per officer where I was. So, you know, you could be dealing with, you know, a car accident on one hand that was a fender bender and then go right from there to, uh, someone who was just, uh, killed in a, in a drive-by shooting. And Mm. anywhere, you know, in between, you name it, we dealt with it. Um, And it was, it was, it was very fast paced. You had to think quick. You know, there was just a lot of life lessons that I learned. Um, A lot of things that, you know, I, I, that my eyes got opened up to that I was never, never saw, never even knew could happen in this world Mm. um, that I saw as a police officer that, that really changes you. Um, it changes your outlook on life, uh, in a, mostly in a positive way, makes you appreciate things, but it also makes you realize that those things are out there. Uh, and it also makes you realize that this world is a tough place. And, um, you know, I, I, there, there's a couple things, you know, uh, you know, you'll never forget, you'll never get out of your head. Um, you know, I've, I had a, a four year old child die in my arms Um, Mm. you know, I was giving CPR, uh, to a, to a dad in the back of a, of a house, um, in, in, in the most awful conditions you could possibly imagine. 
with mm-hmm. his kids yelling, save him, save him, save my daddy. Oh my God. Um, yeah. You know, and ultimately I, you know, he, he, he ended up not surviving. So, you, you know, you have those things in your head that, you know, that you think, oh, wow, did I just ruin these kids' lives because I couldn't save their dad? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's those types of things. And then, you know, I had someone, you know, commit suicide right in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- those are images and things that you'll never get out of your mind. And, um, you know, with all those bad things, though, come good, right? Um, I know for a fact I've saved a lot of lives um, in, in multiple different ways. And those things are, are very rewarding. Um, but it's it's funny how you, you sort of forget about those things in lieu of uh, the negative ones. And yeah. um, it, it's just those types of things as a police officer that people don't understand if you're not a police officer and and it breaks my heart every day seeing um you know the 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 villain nature that police officers are put through these days when uh 99.9 of them are the best people you could ever know and are really in it to do the right thing and like any profession there's a few bad apples that ruin it for everybody and you know knowing what they go through, what these officers go through it, um, on a daily basis, not knowing if they're going to come home at night is really, really tough, you know, t- for me to see. And um, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's an experience I would never, ever give up for anything. It, 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 it made me who I am today. It's given me a new appreciation for everything I have in life. And it, it really just kind of solidifies the importance of, of giving back and everything that my mo- mother and father taught me growing up. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we thank you for your service. Um, I mean, I found some pretty staggering statistics from the national Alliance on mental illness. Um, near, nearly one in four police officer officers have, has thoughts of suicide at some point in their life. The suicide rate for police officers is four times higher than the rate for firefighters more police die by suicide than in the line of duty. Um, and compared to the general population, law enforcement uh, report much higher rates of depression, PTSD, burnout, other anxiety-related mental health conditions. And you know, between 7 and 19% of police officers experience symptoms of PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, compared with just f- uh, 3.5% of the general population. And um, so, I mean, I, you know, hearing about some of the stuff that you saw, uh, those stats make sense. Um, I know you, you know, sort of, you made the transition into financial services. Uh, you went to work for Lincoln Financial as a wholesaler, and then you eventually uh, joined your father's practice as a financial advisor there in, in Wayne, Pennsylvania. But tell us about, you know, leaving the police force and how your what was your mental state after that point? I know you, uh, you know, sort of reached a, you kind of hit rock bottom at one point that made you seek support. Yeah. Um, so, me leaving the police department was probably the hardest decision I've had to make. Um, hmm. Lingering uh, issues from my car accident at, were were really starting to kind of creep up and get worse. Yeah. Specifically physical. with my physical Physically, limitations. Yeah. Correct. Um, specifically with my back. You know, there was one there was one point when I was on duty and, and luckily not on a call 
where I was actually in the back of a church um, writing up a report and my uh, my back just started to spasm and I got out of the car and the back was in such bad spasm that I fell to the ground and could not get back up. I was literally incapacitated. And uh, that was kind of my breaking point uh, of, okay, what if this happens to me on a, on a call um, and someone grabs my gun or my partner's in a fight and I can't help him and and he ends up getting, you know, killed or injured. It it was just getting worse and worse. And I, I just felt collectively for myself and, really for another officer, uh, it was probably best that I, 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 I found, um, something, a new career essentially. Um, so it was really kind of a long-term health issue for me, um, because of my car accident. And, you you know, that's another part where I go, God, this car accident has really kind of, (laughs) um, hindered a lot of what I'm trying to accomplish here. So, um, I left the police force and started at Lincoln Financial Group uh, in in Radnor, Pennsylvania. And when when I started there, I started on their their what's called their inbound sales team. And you know, you just sit behind a cubicle and answer a flood of phone calls all day. And some days are slower than others, and you know everything else. And you know, as a police officer, you're you're so hyper vigilant, and you know you're you're running from these high stress calls to the next and it's just very different and you're not sitting behind a desk. And I would say even the first few weeks in, I noticed just, you know, I was having the, I was just very anxious. I'm sweating and um, just very, uh, I was just very uncomfortable and it, I was, and then I kept thinking about all these things um, that, that I'd seen and um, thinking about the police force and all these things that I'd kept bottled up for so mm-hmm. long because, you know, you deal with something, you put it in the back of your head, you go to the next call and you just, it's just, you repeat, r- rinse and repeat. And yeah. you know did that for, for two years. And, um, it all just, it all just started kind of coming from the back of my head to the front of my mind. And mm. now that I was sitting behind a desk, I had all this time to think about it. I'd come home and, uh, my girlfriend, well, actually at that time, then my fiance, um, you know, she'd want to sit down and have dinner and I, I could barely concentrate on anything. I was just like all over the place mentally. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, after a few months in, it was, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And, you know, we'd go to dinner and I'd have to leave dinner. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night having crazy nightmares. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I just wouldn't go out. I was, you know, I, I missed weddings, uh, from, with uh, friends weddings I've I've you know there was a period there where I was not a good friend um, because of the the issues I was dealing with you know it it all kind of hit ahead for me Um, I had finished working um, one night or one day and I went to the gym and after the gym I I came back to to our apartment I took a shower and uh, laid down on the couch to to watch tv uh, with, with Lisa, my fiance. And I just, it was like nine o'clock at night. And I, I, it, I just had a massive panic attack. It just started. And it was the worst one I had had yet far and away. Um, I could, there was nothing that I could do to, to calm myself down. 
And, you know, eventually, probably around midnight, I, I, I got a slightly better where I felt like I could try to go to sleep. I probably went, was asleep for 20 minutes, woke up again. The, it was worse than before. And mm-hmm. I just said, you know what? Let me try and go take like a, another shower. I'll take a, like a hot shower and just try to calm myself down. And it, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I remember, you know, this was the moment for me that really changed everything um, in my life was I was sitting, I was at this point sitting down in the shower and I was thinking of any possible way for this to stop. And that was the first time I had thought about, you know, actually ending my own life. And it was, it was um, terrifying. Um, I remember thinking I could just take this, this curtain and wrap it around my neck and all of this would just go away. I wouldn't think about any of this anymore. And I just kept telling myself, get to the morning, get to the morning, get to the morning. I had a number of a psychologist that my uh, doctor was telling me to talk to for, you know, months at this point. Mm-hmm. And I just resisted it. And, um, you know, that was my breaking point that night and into that morning. And I, as soon as the office opened, I called. Um, I talked to him uh, on the phone. I said, it's an emergency. I need to see it today. He saw me that day. And since that point, ever since that meeting, I, w- I got on a path of clarity. I was able to deal with a lot of the issues that were eating me from my car accident and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took years to get to the place that I am today. And I say this without hesitation that he and my wife saved my life. Because the support that Lisa was able to give me, being able to deal with all of this mentally, you know, just the not be showing up for dinners, the with friends, the the last minute plan cancellations, um, and just the 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 patience she was able to show um, really helped me get through a lot of this. And you combine that with the psychologist that I saw um, weekly, um, mm-hmm. and, and everything that you know, the path that he put me on has just been literally a lifesaver. And, you know, today, you know, I could not be happier. Um, I have a phenomenal wife. I've got two unbelievable daughters. I I have a great family, great in-laws, you know, everything, great career, you know, everything is just kind of back on a path that, that, uh, you know, I'm very, very happy. And, uh, even if, you know, God forbid something even happened, you know, I know how to deal with certain things and being on the police force, it's hard to see or deal with anything more stressful and emotional than what you see there. Um, but now, regardless of what the situation is, I know how to deal with it. And it's just made me a better person. It's made me a better man. And I'm just very happy with, with where I am today. And I, I, I am adamant in the fact that I would not change anything about my life. Because if I did, I wouldn't be where I am. How, how do you think those experiences shaped your work as an advisor? So again, getting back to not being where I w- would be uh, yeah. without those experiences. Um, yeah. You know, when you're in the, the academy, you're taught a lot of different things. You're taught, you know, attention to detail, um, discipline, mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And then when you're on the police force, 
you really learn empathy. You have to, you know, I, and I still, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll preach this to the, to, to the cows come home. Um, police officers are asked to do way too much. Um, you know, you're, you play psychologist, babysitter, villain, Superman, all in one shift and learning how to deal with all kinds of different people who are in all different socioeconomic, uh, uh, classes and what makes them all walks like everything, um, being able to, to learn how people, uh, operate and then being, and then showing them empathy and, and just being compassionate, all of those things directly translate into being a financial advisor. As an advisor, you know, you're sitting down with husbands and wives all day long who don't agree on, uh, you know, their financial situation or the way that they spend money. And, um, and that's okay. Everyone has different viewpoints. Um, and you as an, your job as an advisor is to be able to, to help them come to a place of mutual understanding and agreement. And as a police officer, that was my number one job is to get people to figure out a way to come to a mutual understanding and defuse a situation. And as an advisor, we're doing that all day long. And those experiences as a police officer absolutely shaped who, how I deal with people today. And, you know, my, my, my experiences at Lincoln taught me finance, right? They taught me you know, I, I saw a lot of bad advisors. I saw a lot of really good advisors. And I was able to take a lot of these things to shape how I wanted to be an advisor. And, you know, I, I think all of those experiences have got me to where I am today. And I, I guarantee I would not be as successful in this business had I just come out of college and said, you know what, I want to be an advisor. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I guess I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, how you got to a place of healing, you know, after you sort of reached that rock bottom moment and, you know, how did the psychologist help you through that time? What kind of coping mechanisms really helped you? Because I'm, I guess I'm hoping that, you know, people who are listening who might be, you know, suffering from, you know, similar thoughts or, you know, have loved ones with, uh, you know, suffering from this can, uh, find support. So I guess I'm wondering, you know, what helped you during that time? So there was a, a few things that helped me. Um, so yes, the psychologist was a huge factor. My wife, Lisa, and my parents were tremendous, but specifically my father, you know, he, he, I, you know, I, I feel, I feel, you know, everyone goes through something. I feel like in their life and to what magnitude it doesn't matter, but every single person goes through some sort of struggle. And I think it's just comforting to know that people are listening and being able to go to the psychologist just initially, he didn't really give me much guidance at first, you know, really for the first few months, it was more just talk to me, tell me everything. And I just opened up. And told him everything. And after every session, even though I knew I wasn't necessarily getting anything back from him, I was because he was just letting me speak and letting me just unleash all of the things that were in the back of my head and, and, and crowding my mind and, and get them all out on a plate for him to see and then for us to be able to put back together and, and figure out how to manage it all. And 
you know, just having him there to listen. I remember coming home from, from there and crying, um, sitting next to my wife because of all these things that, you know, it was just took an emotional toll. And, yeah, sure. you know, my wife was just always right there, you know, always there to listen and, and just not even necessarily say anything, just, just, just hear me out. And then, you know, my father, um, you know, he was, you know, my dad didn't really need to say anything for me to know that number one, he supported me, but number two, that I would be able to handle this. Cause I always said and thought to myself, if he could get through what he got through, this is nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know yeah. I can get through this. And to me, it almost put something, it put it into a little bit more of a perspective of, I know what I went through um, and saw from my car accident to being a cop, you know, it stinks. And it's, it's things that people don't see every day, nor should they see every day or deal with every day. But neither is what my dad went through. And the way that I saw my dad was that what he went through was worse than mine. And if I know he can get through it, I know I can definitely get through this. So that's yeah. something I always told myself. And, um, you know, during the car accident, you know, I'll go back to that here for a second. One thing my dad said that really kind of, um, you know, kind of helped me a little bit it w get through the, the accident initially was it was only like a month after the accident. I was sitting down with my legs up, um, again, couldn't really walk at all. And, um, he looked over, he said, Oh, you're, he walked in the, the room and he goes, Oh, you're still not over this yet. And mm. I just kind of smirked and, you know, told him to go, you know, go, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it, but <laughs> uh, go I think we know where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we just kind of had a laugh, right? Cause mm -hmm. he's, he, he's always been good at being able to just kind of, you know, make things not as serious as they, as they need to be sure. or, or just make you feel a little bit more comfortable. And, um, you know, that's something I always kind of looked back on and, 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 you know, I know he's there to support me, but I also know that that's kind of his way of, also supporting you is, is, you know, it's just his way of kind of toughening you up. And you know, that was his way for my whole life. And through the, uh, the mental aspect of everything, um, eventually when I, when I opened up about it all to everybody, he was, the, you know, the first one there to put his arm around me. So, hmm. um, I think it was a combination of just being able to speak to somebody at first through the psychologist, having a support system behind you, and then really having someone who went through something traumatic themselves um, really helped, which, you know, is my biggest thing is, you know, not everybody has somebody that they can lean on and not everybody has somebody who's been through something um, that, you know, they can teach you how to, how to deal through, deal with things. And, you know, my email, phone number, messages on, on social media are always open to anybody who just needs to talk. Uh, because I know that that's the most important thing. And if, if I can just listen to somebody and, and, and that just that moment of me listening, um, because they don't know who to turn to put somebody on a, on a, on a path forward to he let them heal mentally, then that's one person's life that, that I've, I've saved and, um, getting back to being able to give back to people. Um, I think me being in the position I am today uh, in a multitude of ways puts me in a position to really be able to help people who are struggling. And I just want people to know that they're not alone. They're never alone because chances are 
somebody you know is going through something that you don't even know about. And you can usually find commonality in it and you can find a place of healing that doesn't seem possible today, but trust me, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think a lot of people are struggling and suffering from PTSD in particular, and they just, they don't talk about it. They keep it bottled up. They, um, you know, they don't open up about it and, um, you know, that's really what they, what they need. Um, and so I think that, uh, I hope it will be helpful for other people. Um, we're just about out of time. Uh, I could talk about this all day, Brian. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to thank my guest Brian Walsh for being on the podcast and, you know, opening up up about some really painful memories and experiences that you had. Um, thank you, Brian, so much for that. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And again, for anyone listening that that needs help or doesn't seem that they can talk to anybody or needs clarity. Um, just I'm always here. Yeah. And if you'd like to reach out to Brian personally, or you have questions for him, you can reach him at B R I A N dot W A L S H at W N F G dot com. And this information will be in the show notes as well. If you want to reach out, if you yourself have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there's hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.